You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Janice Legata, and this is God Has Not Given, an evangelical podcast featuring me and my failing faith and conversations with friends about fears we were given and ways that we are finding power, love, and sound mind. All right, so everything is weird. This month, in the world, with me and this podcast, everything just feels weird. The weekend the Discovery Plus documentary came out, I was in one of the Carolinas for a wedding, and while I was there, I went and got a little intuitive tarot reading for the first time ever, and it was cool. I was trying to be open, but I'm also very skeptical, so I was trying not to give too much away or be too easy to read, and as the reader was saying things, I was like, eh. I guess, but I don't know. And then life went on. I flew back to New York. And since then, it has been like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I see. And I'll say more about that at the end. But what I want to say up front is that capitalism is a death cult. It turns people into products and judges us on how much we're producing. And it traps us in these cycles where we feel like we have to keep up, not just with what we're doing, but with what everyone else is doing and making sure we are marked as present for everything. But none of us are evergreen. None of us are products and all of us deserve rest. All of us deserve to stop when we've had enough. So if you have had enough of hearing about Hillsong, or talking about deconstruction, or whatever, it's okay to stop. It's impossible to fall behind because you don't have to keep up. I have been very anxious and depressed for pretty much all of 2022 so far, and just feeling like I'm not doing enough. And I think part of that is because I keep putting things I want to do off because I'm prioritizing the things that I have to do, but it's a scam I'm running on myself because I don't have to do anything. We're talking a lot about Brian Houston in this episode, and yes, I think he is a garbage person who has done immense harm. And I also think he is a sad, sad character study and a warning to all of us to watch out when we find ourselves thinking the only things worth building or doing are things that are going to be the biggest or, or last forever. Some stuff, a lot of stuff, is small and it's seasonal, and that's okay. Anyway, when I came back from my little break at the beginning of March, I knew I wanted to do something different with the podcast, and I worked out some ideas for some new bits, but then Hillsong started Hillsonging all over the place, and I just started recording episodes on the fly when the mood seemed right, and honestly, it's been great. I'm really enjoying the group dynamic kind of stuff, and we'll probably keep that going. Now, that being said, this episode is not that. Uh, It's just a good old-fashioned one-on-one with Tim from the New Evangelicals, and it's great, so... On the podcast this week, my friend Tim from the New Evangelicals, and Tim I know from the internets, coming into the deconstruction (laughs) space. Tim was probably one of the people, not probably, Tim was one of the people who was like, I think I like him, but I'm a little wary because I don't know. He is a white guy and... It's the new evangelicals, and I don't know how I feel about the old ones until we really want to keep keep this going. But over time, you are legitimately one of one of my favorite people in this space now. Wow! And you challenged me to to not be religious about my irreligiosity. Because I mean, we come out of these spaces, and I think we all just kind of carry carry the old mindsets 
over. And so mm. as much as, you know, as deconstructing people, we want to say, no, we want, we want everybody to have whatever they want. Secretly, we also do not want them to have or still like it. You make me live in that tension of being like, no, you can't just, because you're through with it, everybody should be through with it. Maybe there is still some good to be found yes. there, and we need we need people holding that balance. Yes, I do think like if there is a spectrum, you've probably come more in my direction than I've come in yours. You know, yes. as time goes on. Yeah, but I would say so. You're still out there fighting the good fight, and I I appreciate you. <laughs> well, it means a lot. Let me just say that. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't take that lightly. And um, you're right, you know, like, I live in a lot of tensions, but I am, I think, more and more, like, just con- committed and convinced that the evangelicalism that I've inherited is so steeped in white supremacy culture that I'm kind of asking the question myself now, like, well, how do we move forward as quote-unquote new evangelicals? Like, how different does this have to look? And can we even still keep that name? And I, honestly, I go back and forth, you know. I think overall, I think the answer is yes for me. But I realize, like, how dirty that name is to so many people. Um, It's a very fair critique that we get, you know, about that. So I appreciate it. Well, you're one of the good ones. You can stay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel that way about you, honestly. I love your videos. They're they're like hilarious, but they're also like really accurate. And I'm just like the the amount of spice in the videos is just it's perfect. I'm like, damn, damn it, you nailed it. I love it. So I just want to say it, it, it's a mutual thing because I really enjoy your content, and I think that like just just like your style and the way that even you even the way you write, I'm almost envious. I'm like. I wish I can write with that kind of sass, you know, and just that kind of just like, it's so true, but also so sassy, and I just freaking love it. So thank you, because I, I love your content. <laughs> so this was a good episode. Thanks for being here. And I mean, we should just end right there. That's... <laughs> Seriously. So we're just going to play a little game. It's just this or that. I'm just going to give you two choices. You just say whatever. And so we'll just learn learn a little more about you. All right. Handwritten or typed? Typed. My handwriting is horrible. I'm left-handed and I was homeschooled. Keep that in mind. <laughs> New York so or LA? So it's bad. It's bad. It's two bad combos. That's a lot. Uh, to your <laughs> second one, definitely New York. I'm a New York person all the way. Coke or Pepsi? Uh, Coke. True love or true crime? Oh... My wife is a big true crime person. Man, I go back and forth. Like, I just watched The Ultimatum, which is, like, the, the, the newest, shittiest show on Netflix. It's, like, based on the Love Blinds people. It's the same kind of – it's the same people. So I love watching those train wrecks, but also I love a good, like, you know, true crime documentary. Can I just go half and half? I, I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it just depends. No, all right. no. All right. You had all right, to right, say right. and you have to say. True love. All right. Which is a crime anyway, so whatever. <laughs> True. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Dog or cat? Dog. Condenser or dynamic? Dynamic. Mm-hmm. On the ones and threes or on the twos and fours? Uh, as a drummer, on the twos and fours all day. <laughs> nice. Peter or Paul? I'll go with Peter. And final question, pineapple or pizza? Pizza. We all know how I feel about this, okay? 
They should never touch those two things. I don't care what Joe Lumen says. I don't care what my community says. They should stay separate. So, pizza. All right. There you go. So, when I first started this podcast, the question I would ask, first it was what makes someone a Christian. So, we were figuring out whether or not I was a Christian. Then it was what makes some something a church, figuring out whether or not I had been to church. And then with this new season, I was like, oh, I'm kind of tired of... Of asking those questions, um, I'm not really as concerned with where people where people came from. I want to know where people are. So mm-hmm. now I just want to know, where are you? So give me three ways to locate you right now. Like, could be geographically, politically, anything. Okay. Where, where are you? Let's go with, um, we'll do geographic first. So pork roll. Okay, that's my geographic, my geographic staple. Um, type six and firstborn. Okay. All right. There you go. Good stuff. So the type six, Sleeping at Last, has an album of so, all the Enneagram types. Mm-hmm. And six, I love that song. And that song, it like makes me tear up every time. <laughs> so I, yeah. I don't know much about the type six, but I have like a, a soft, soft spot for it. So what is I mean, what is the six claim to fame? Yeah, I mean, type six are loyalists. Like, we are relationally loyal to people, probably to a fault. And also, like, if you cross one of our friends, you're on our hit list forever. And also, we are fear-based. We are full of fear and catastrophizing and just, you know, worst-case scenario at all times. So it's, it's a love-hate relationship with being a six sometimes for me. But overall, I love being a loyal friend to people. So, you know, it's just part of who I am. Well. We are due to hang yeah. out soon, by the way. I, you know, I'm right in New Jersey. And now that the summer's coming, I am going to try and make a trip up, up to where you're at. Because there's a couple people in New York, including you, who I'm just like, oh, I'm so close. We have to, like, get coffee or – well, I should, I should rephrase. We should get non-proselytizing coffee um, or, you know, or lunch or something <laughs> and just catch up. Because, I, I, you know, the camera's fine, but, like, in person, just so much better. Anytime to meet in person, I'm just, always about yeah. it. So whenever, whenever you get over here, I'm here. So, so that's where you are, and we're going to get into the hill song of it all. But, Tim, how did – how did you get here? What is hmm. what is your faith story? How did you yeah. get into and out of the old evangelicalism? <laughs> I mean, the long story short is I was born into it. You know, I was homeschooled um, for nine years, brought up in an evangelical context, more fundamentalist, think like John MacArthur kind of theology. Always been committed to Jesus, you know, like never had this moment where I'm like, oh, I don't believe this anymore. And honestly, that's what, that's what has kind of led to the work that I do now. It's it was never to escape my faith. It was always just to better understand the tradition that I'm a part of. And also, like, both in the global scale, like, okay, being a Christian, what does that mean globally? And then also, what does it mean to be an evangelical? And I just think over time, as I've asked these questions to myself and with friends and, you know, just kind of thought about it, I think um, – I just found myself more and more at odds with the evangelical tradition that I was brought up in. You know, that really came to a boiling point really in 2016 and then the lynching of Ahmaud Arbery and then the murder of George Floyd. Like like all those things together really pushed me over the edge of seeing just how evangelicals were responding to these things, who were they who they were supporting politically, not even just with like a holding your nose attitude, but like real fervor. And then I think over time when COVID hit and I you know, I'm just seeing 
Sean Foyt, you know, he, he's the worship leader who's going around doing these, these, these massless protests. I just said, we need a better evangelical movement than what, what this is. Like, we need a new evangelical movement. That's how I had the idea, new evangelicals. And I was still committed to an evangelical church at the time. I was still a part of one. I was playing music faithfully every Sunday. And my goal was kind of, you know, first asking the question, anyone else out there in these spaces thinking about this stuff? That was that was part one. And part two was, well, maybe like, you know, I can help be part of, you know, just a new way forward that's still in the evangelical space, but trying to push things forward. So that's kind of how I got here. I ended up losing my church through this process, you know, and kind of, I definitely, I think have shifted into some you know, maybe even territory that I didn't even expect starting all this. I didn't know that, like, for example, the term deconstruction was a thing, right? When I started New Evangelicals, I didn't know that was the term that we were using. So it's, it's definitely taught me a lot. I've had to really understand my own decolonization process. I didn't understand how linked everything was that I grew up in, was how linked it was to white supremacy culture and just the history there. But that's how I got the work. That, that's how I started doing this. You know, now we're a registered nonprofit, and we're just trying to you know, the way that we describe ourselves is we exist for the church that has left the building and we try and just hold space for people to kind of process what's going on with them. And we also do our best to hold the evangelical church accountable. And it's a lot of, you know, there's a lot there, but that's kind of the work I do. And that's how we got here. It, it all, it's still for me is very much centered on, on doing our best to understand and follow the way of Jesus but I think the more I, I say that and I study, the more I realize like, like how wide that really is. You know, like you can follow a white evangelical gun-loving Jesus and still be a Christian. That's part of the problem. You know, like you can be a genuine, you can believe all the right dogma and doctrine and, and storm the Capitol building, right? But you can also like, you can also live in Uganda and be a faithful Jesus follower, serving a whole different kind of Jesus. And that just kind of fascinates me, you know, of like how this Jesus character we see in scripture has really been interpreted through so many different contexts and lenses. So that's kind of the journey that we're on, just kind of thinking about that and, you know, asking ourselves, like, how do we do that, quote unquote, faithfully in our own context? And how do we become allies of people who have been historically marginalized? I, as a white male, have lived in the most privileged position, right? I'm a white evangelical male in America. Like it gets no, no more privileged than that position. And, you know, you and I talked about this a while ago and I was just saying, I think you were the one who kind of made me even rethink about how I viewed my own privilege because, you know, I didn't ask, I, I had no control over how I was born, just like you didn't, you know, I, I didn't, I couldn't control who I was born to or where I was born, but like, what do I do with this now? You know, okay, I have this privilege that I didn't maybe even ask for, but I have it. And like, what do I do with it? And so I'm just doing my best. And I don't always do it well, but I'm just doing my best to like use whatever I can to leverage it, to kind of push hopefully my little corner of evangelicalism forward into better territory. <laughs> so that's, that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. I think I found you maybe like right around the time, either you had like just been asked to leave your church. Hmm. Maybe it was like right as it was happening. Like, what was that like? Because I think a lot of people, we end up losing people and we end up losing things. But a lot of us kind of come in from having lost it, right? Like, we already, we made the choice to leave church and we're, you know, whatever. But, like, what is that like to be doing this work and to have to make that choice? 
Yeah, yeah. It was really painful. You know, my my senior pastor pretty much said like either stop leading worship and stop what you're doing here or stop what you're doing online. Like those that was the option I was given. At the time I said, "Well, I can't stop what I'm doing online. Like there are too many people who are saying that this work is helping them." And ultimately, I'm people-centered. I'm not really thing-centered, you know, or task-centered. It was really painful. You know, I I was at this church doing at, at the time, what I would argue would be good work, you know, meaning, you know, we were, for, for, for evangelical culture, we were very professional, you know, I was a musician, so I'm playing in this really great space, we talked about this, you're, you're a musician too, it, it, it is nice to play in, in these great high-end spaces, um, and do these big things, and be on live stream, and have a kick-ass mix, like, it, it, it's nice to do all those things, and I was doing that, and I loved it, I mean, I was, I loved to do all of that, and for me, relationships, again, being a type six, right, I, they're always first, like, beliefs are always second to me. I have friends who are atheists, who are this, who are that, who I would disagree with on so many different belief systems, but like, I love the friendship. And so I kind of assumed like that my church would see it that way too. Like, Hey, we can disagree on certain things, you know, still be committed to Jesus in our own ways and still do great work together. And to kind of be, be put in that spot where it was like, Hey, you have to choose. It was like, Whoa, whoa. I, I thought like our, does my six years of faithfully serving here and donating and like doing all this work, is there, is, is, is there any equity built here, you know, or is it literally just like conform or get out? So it was really painful losing. I mean, I lost 90% of those friendships. And again, just being who I am, it was incredibly painful. Thank God for therapy. You know, this happened. It's actually, it's funny. We're recording this in, um, a couple of days before Easter. Easter is the one year mark. That was the last time I played in my evangelical church. So it is officially one year since all of us went down. Wow. Well, happy anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'll drink to that. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about, you know, being born again, huh? That was your (laughs) death and resurrection there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because like... You know, again, if, if for those of you listening, if you grew up in evangelical circles, you know that like the big thing is, you know, God takes dead things and brings them back to life. And like this, my one year anniversary, it's still dead. Like those relationships are dead and I'm not trying to revive them. And the people who I thought might try to haven't. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to, I I can't, to me, it feels like I have to almost undignify myself to make them happen again. I just can't do it. Like I was when asked to leave, you know, but in the same way, like. Like, and I don't want to get too evangelical, but like there has been a lot of growth and a lot of like new things that have come out of that situation that I wouldn't be able to do now. Like I am much more free to explore different rooms in the Christian tradition that maybe my church would be like, You're, you can't do this at all. You can't say these things publicly. So there definitely is a, a, a level of growth to that, even though I've had to really bury, you know, that part of my life uh, the past year. So it, it, it's a really both and situation. Uh, as all things are. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah, never told really. us that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so as an evangelical, as a musician, mm. I'm assuming Hillsong had a place in your life mm-hmm. before before all of this. So where were you first exposed to Hillsong? What, what did you think? Well, 
You know, I mean, I, I'm 33, and my I, I was 11 when I started playing drums in the church. It was a super fundamentalist hymns-only church. They wanted to break into new territory. So they figured, hey, let's have an 11-year-old on the drums. Who's going to yell at the kid, right? And my first exposure to Hillsong was Darlene Jack. You know, Every Day, My Redeemer Lives. I mean, these are some old-school hits. So, so Hillsong's yeah. been a part of my life musically for you know several decades now, and of course, as I as I grew and played better, and, and we I changed churches. Everything that Hillsong puts out, I mean, churches play. That there are three for those of those those of you who don't know, there are three major worship bands that that, that most churches play in some capacity. There's Bethel, there's Elevation, there's Hillsong. Those are the big three. There's other ones like Vertical Worship and some other minor ones, but but those big three, I'm gonna just take a, a shot in the dark. Probably seventy five percent of all worship music comes like from those big three. I mean, at least the popular stuff. And Hillsong, out of those mm-hmm. big three, is the top dog. I mean, we both know that. The you know, they are massive. They have Hillsong Worship, Hillsong United. So I've played their music, I mean, all of it, everything from, from their United days um, to, like, to the Hillsong Worship stuff to What a Beautiful Name. I, you know, you name it, I've been a part or I've played the Hillsong songs. What, what was your, your album? When, what was your Hillsong high point when you're like, oh, it doesn't get any better than this? Like, they've, they've, they've done it. This is it. Uh, well, you know, it's tough because as a musician in the church, you kind of just learn songs and you get so exhausted from worship music like that you don't listen to it on your own. But they had, um, oh, I got to look it up. What's the song I'm thinking of? It has a, it has a nice little hook to it. Um... Uh, I don't know, Janice. You know, it was, they all blurs in my head. Like, it's songs for me. Like, I, I know, you know, uh, um, uh, what's the song? A, a Million Reasons. Uh, so, will so Will I. I. That's a really mm-hmm. beautiful song, I think. You know, I think just lyrically, it's like a very beautiful song. Then I think of what a beautiful name and how the arrangement's so open as a drummer. Who, who doesn't love those builds? You know, like, so there's, that's kind of how I see Hillsong in my head. Like, there are certain songs where I'm like, as a drummer, this song is just freaking fun to play, right? It's just a fun song mm-hmm. to play. But I, I think What a Beautiful Name is probably one of, like, for me, like, like the pinnacle of this is a fun song, it's a great song, and you can do a lot with it, right? So you can medley into other songs really easily. You can change the bridge. You can do a drums-only part. So that song for me, my church, we played it all the time. So this wasn't, this wasn't a question on the list, but now in kind of thinking about getting out of these spaces – how problematic they are and and Mm. just in so many ways. And now there are a lot of conversations about, about just the different types of manipulation that they use and music is on that list. Yeah. Kind of like, what, what are your thoughts on that? How kind of like purposeful do you think that is? Like I, I still try to give Hillsong some benefit of the doubt and say that, you know, nobody, Brian Houston didn't sit up on day one and say, here's my master plan to be awful. And we're going to use music. Like, we know music has this power. Like, I feel like they maybe stumbled into it. But at some point, you do know what you're doing. That's what I, like, what what do you think? I mean, we're really, we're really hitting on, like, even... You know, we're really hitting on like a bigger topic, which is like church music in general, because they all kind of echo each other, right? They all kind of have similar progressions. I mean, I think on a personal level, I think Elevation has some of the most unique stuff that they, that, that is put out there, but it's still very much like the same kind of chord progression, the same builds. I mean, I, I'm not sure about you, but I got to a point where I didn't even need to hear a song more than once. I mean, I, I'm like, I just know how it's going to go, you know, low first verse, yeah. medium chorus, bring drums up slightly on verse to all in chorus drop down for bridge build bridge up go right into big chorus i mean that, that's just how those songs go now do i think that like like you said do i think that 
that that behind the scenes they're like, ah, oh, we're gonna intentionally write manipulative music. No, because music by definition does invoke emotion. I mean, I mean, music as in any genre, right, is emotive. That's what music is. It expresses emotion, all kinds of emotion. You know, I, I'm I'm a big heavy guy. I like really heavy bands. I like I like prog bands that are really technical. It expresses the emotion of that for me, right? And I think that when it comes to Hillsong and, 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 and this worship industry, they found a really successful formula that invokes a sense of awe and wonder out of people. And, and they just have found ways to, you know, really reinvent that same formula um, for, for high tempo and slow tempo songs. And, they, and it works because it puts people in this contemplative state. Um, you know, along with along with the lights and with the haze. And by the way, this is not new. You know, old school church architecture with the stained glass, same thing. It was designed to 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 play on the emotions of the person. I don't think that's necessarily bad, right? Because it's not bad to engage our emotions. I think though that what has happened is that whether intentionally or not, it's hard to know. You know, Hillsong is so big that they have to think through these things. They have to know in some way what they're doing. But it seems like this current worship industry that we've created really has replaced like worship with music, right? We're like, oh, I'm going to go worship. That means I'm going to go listen to a song and sing and feel good and raise my hand. And then I've done my Christian duty. I've worshiped God. I just don't think that that's a holistic picture of what worship is, especially when we look and I'm, you know, I'm not going to get too biblical here because I don't like doing this super often because the Bible's complex, but even like a very blatant book like James, where he says true religion is taking care of the poor, the orphan, and the widow. That's how Christians are called to worship, not by packing stadiums with haze machines. Now, again, as a musician, and I think there's always a time for those things, but that seems to be the primary focus of, of the hill songs and elevations of the world. And I think it's a real, it's a misplaced focus, ultimately. So that's what I kind of think with, with these, with Hillsong, you know, like they have a formula, they know it works well, people want to experience this feeling of awe and beauty and they want to have the chills. I get that. We all want those things. But I think that ultimately it does manipulate people into thinking, oh, God's presence is here, but God's presence isn't there, right? So like God showed up tonight at this worship service, but God isn't my, is not in my everyday with me as I'm taking care of my kids or as I'm at work. And I think unintentionally it creates this kind of like Gnosticism where this place is special and sacred and this place is, is not. And, and, you know, hopefully you can make it to next week kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So Hillsong's doing its thing. It's, it's in all of our ears and all of our yeah. houses and in different ways. And, you know, a lot of people, especially recently, have been like, oh, like it must be, it must be so great for you to kind of see what's happening with Hillsong. Like, there's this validation. And, you know, I've had people, you know, write to me and be like, oh, like, I'm still waiting, you know, five years, ten years, you know, in my church. Like, they're still thriving, they're still hustling, they're still doing their thing, and everything is fine. And then I feel kind of bad, because I'm like, no, I'm I'm pretty much an interloper here. Like, I came in at the tail end of this, this thing, because people have been sounding these alarms for 20-plus years. Now, yeah, it's falling, and it looks like it happened overnight, but... This has been a long time coming. So when did you first have a hint that there might be some trouble in the Hillsong Paradise? Yeah, you know, it's tough for me to like pinpoint the exact moment. I, I think that part of my journey 
you know, it's hard to explain, you know, so much history in, in a short time, but I definitely went through a phase in like my early mid twenties of like, I want the true gospel. I, I want, I want the absolute truth of God's word. Right. And like Hillsong, it's just consumer Christianity and like, it's just watered down. You know, I definitely went through that phase. Right. And so I, I always, even as I came out of that phase, I always questioned, you know, is this consumeristic church model, even, even as I got out of like my, my, my ultra reformed, you know, perspective, right. I, I always like thought, is this, is this consumeristic model of just bigger and better and really taking capitalist metrics and applying them to, to, to church success growth, right. Is that really healthy ultimately? I mean, you don't get that big in, in any case I could think of without running over someone or some people. So I never had like, you know, an inside scoop until I started like this, this kind of work, you know, but I always kind of assumed like there has to be stuff behind the scenes that we're just not aware of because, because to get this big, you have to compromise something at some point. So I've always wrestled in general with this, with this, with these metrics that Hillsong and Elevation use and that, and therefore other churches see as success, right? Oh, Hillsong has 55 campuses. They're doing such great work for the kingdom. And I've, I've always thought, even before I started this work, is that like how we, is that how Jesus would measure success, you know, in the scripture, you know, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, not blessed are the mega church builders. So I think that I've always, I've always wondered about that in general. And then of course, since I've been doing this work and following just, you know, even I think it was last year with, with Carl Lentz and things just kind of disintegrating. And then also I have some, I met some friends through my, my account who actually visited us for a few days who worked at Hillsong, Arizona. And they really shared a lot of the inside, you know, scoop of, of how they got let go and just how really how shitty everything went down. And so as I got clearer pictures of just the fragmentation, um, I started to say, oh, I think that, that we have some, I think Hillsong has some real institutional problems. And even though we don't know at the time about Brian Houston, I would not be surprised if something comes out. And here we are in 2022. And, you know, it just seems like the, the, the dam is at least starting to break. I think there's still more to come, but we're, we're getting a clearer picture of how problematic it was. So Hillsong in 2022, if you had to describe it in three words, what, what would you say? It's the reckoning. Ooh. I mean, I mean, honestly, yeah. like, I, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse and say the same thing over and over again, but when, when church culture measures their standards and success by capitalist, imperialistic standards, it's not sustainable. And even like Brian Houston, I was thinking about this earlier before we started recording, Brian Houston has committed some, some major atrocities. We, we know this. You know, he was overly intoxicated. He was on medic, overly medicated, ended up in someone else's room who wasn't his wife. Hillsong hid that. I am not here to try and defend Brian Houston, okay? Because the guy is a problem. And, he, and as, of, as far as I can tell, he does not seem very re, uh, repentant at all. And he needs to repent and seriously take some time for some self-reflection. But I also wonder how much of the system that Brian thought was was the kingdom actually actually is what did him in, right? Because he mentions how like how high the, the levels of stress were, right? And I, listen, I, I don't want to be I don't want to be in Brian's position. I don't want to be overseeing a, a institution 
Nation like Hillsong, that is a lot of stress, right? I can understand how someone can run to the bottle, all right? And again, I, I want to be clear, I'm not excusing Brian's behavior. I'm just trying to understand it. And I, it just seems like, it seems like these mega institutions eat everyone, even their own at some point. And they and, and, and they become so blinded and it becomes such a part of their identity that they feel like without that, they're no one, which is why Brian has said, this is not the last of him, right? God has more plans for him. That's his way of mentally coping, saying, I can't, I can't lose this identity as Brian Houston, the Hillsong guy, or, or not being in the public's you know, limelight. I have to reinvent myself. And that is such a toxic cycle that I think will ultimately lead, unfortunately, unfortunately, I think more to Brian's destruction, because it seems like he still has not taken real responsibility and ownership and said, whoa, what has happened to me? I don't recognize the person that I've become. I need to take a real far step back and maybe never, never even come back into the limelight ever again and find better ways of being human. Right. Yeah. So we're there. So let's, let's talk about Brian Houston, his mm. resignation and yeah. apology. <sighs> yeah, what? And I, I mean, I have one perspective from, from being inside of it, but as, as somebody outside of Hillsong, but still walking that evangelical line, what, what has this all looked like to you? Like, I, I, I reread the, the, the letter today. First off, let me say something clearly. I think it's really shameful that Brian sent an email out. No public video, no like, you know, no, nothing that really seems to be like, I've been in the, in the public limelight for a lot of years. I've been on 60 Minutes. I've been public, and now I need to own it publicly. Instead, it's, it's, it's here's my email. I'm sorry. You know, um, you know, I take responsibility, but also kind of not really. And, like, you haven't seen the last of me yet. You know, it's like, all right, Brian, like, like, just stop. Like, stop doing what CEOs are paid to do, which is defend the institution at all costs. And, and, and these large evangelical mega institutions are designed to be protected at all costs. And Brian is 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 playing his part, you know, as as the former CEO, you know, he and he, he makes a lot of it about about him. I'm trying to pull up one of the quotes I wanted to read. Um, where is it? Uh, let's see. He's, you know, he says, he says, I've let you down so badly and sorry will never be enough to express my sorrow. Okay. As hollow as it may sound, I believe I am the person and pastor you believe me to be. Okay. Imperfect and flawed, but generally passionate about God, people calling in life. I am determined that my mistake will not define me. Well, Brian, unfortunately, your mistake, mistake, air quote, really your, your, your abuse has defined women, several women, you know, and they're stamped with that. And it's like there, there's no talk about the victims in, in this. There's no talk about, you know, I've I've harmed people. It's just about how, hey, I had a really hard time. It was really stressful. And I don't want to discount that. I understand that, Brian. But, like, take some ownership for the harm you've caused. And so, you know, it just reads to me like, like a classic evangelical pastor who doesn't know how to let go and doesn't know how to really repent, which is so frustrating because, again, I grew up in these circles – and you're always taught that the most basic part of being a Christian is having a repentant and humble heart. It's the fruit of the spirit, you know, patience, kindness, gentleness. And it just seems like for some reason, megachurch leaders are exempt from being that way. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. So that part where he is, you know, I am who you believe me to be. And then like he tells us who he thinks we believed him to be. And I'm like, this is who, why do you think that's what we thought you were? At no point are you leaving room for people to have their own thoughts or for you to have to reckon with what people actually think. At this point, I'm not disappointed 
in you because I thought, you know, this and this. And the things that you're listing were all that, right? But, like, we haven't all done this. I I would never even be allowed. Like, if I were to right. have one of your indiscretions, I would have been out long ago. Like, I would have never even been able to get to, get to this point. You're leveling us all. You know, I'm just a regular guy, you know, at this point. Right. Um, and here's what right. I know you thought of me. No, that's not what we, that's not the issue at this point. We, we, we were already having conversations and you were already under fire for other things. And like, none of that gets addressed at all now. Now right. you're just sweeping everything under this one rug, this one mistake that I made. And it's like, we don't even, we, we just don't get to have the conversations about what's wrong with this institution. That's right. And on, on, you know, on top of that, I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, in the documentary that aired on Hills on, um, on uh, discovery, people mentioned that, you know, at the college, it was a zero tolerance policy, you know, but apparently Brian Houston can not only text a female on staff inappropriately, he can, he can have an alcohol problem. He can be overly medicated. He can walk into the wrong woman's hotel room for 45 minutes at night. And he, and that's hidden for, for several years. And he's still the senior pastor until it finally comes out. Right. So the standard isn't the same. Brian and leadership have an extra, they have an, they have a standard that, 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 that is not applied equally to the people of Hill song. Excuse me. The other thing about this too is in his letter, he says, quote, I still have a sense of bright hope for the future. And I know God is not finished with me yet. We have no intention of retiring. As Bobby would say, that's his wife. The final chapters of our lives are not yet written. This is code for, we are not going to leave the public ministry. That's what he's saying. Because for Brian, God not finished with him yet is saying that, well, I'm still going to be a pastor in some way, shape or form. There's no there, at least based on this letter, and as of as as far as I can tell, there's no sense of I need to stop. I need to go away and like get some real healing, you know. And I'm not even sure if I'm ever going to come back to the public ministry. I mean, but, but this is what the evangelical machine it mandates this, right? Like Brian has to come back now because if not, did God? Was was God's promises really true then? You know, is God really finished with Brian if Brian doesn't come back? So it's a really weird game of like, it's a really weird theology that's mapped onto someone's emotional instability and they, they merged it. So it's, so for Brian, you know, if he stops being Pastor Brian, he loses his identity, but he, he doesn't see it that way. He just sees it as God God still is a calling on my life. So he masks his own trauma with God language. That's what makes it so dangerous. Right. And so, so sad in a way, but also just, just frustrating because it's, it's like, you're the only one with with a great call in this. Like you're the, you're the only one God can use. You're the only one that matters. Like it's, it's nothing for all the people underneath you who have been crushed by this machine. Right. And whose callings and destinies have been altered and and messed up, you know, but it's like, I mean, the whole thing ever since, you know, Carl, Carl went down. I've just been like, I don't understand. I don't understand like what the people of Hillsong are waiting for, like specifically Hillsong, New York. I'm like, you're you're waiting for the man who created this monster and put him over you and left him over you, you know, knowing his issues and whatever, and then took him away. But now you're trusting that man to pick the next person and put them here. There's just this huge disconnect for me 
where we're just giving all this all this authority, all this power to this person, and then we're like, well, it can't be rescinded. And it's kind of like the the thing with David, right? You know, it's a man of man after God's own heart. And I'm like, that was that was a moment. But that's not like just this, this blanket statement forever. And once God God chooses you and he puts you in this position, you have to stay there always, always have the authority that you had. And like we there's nothing we can do about it. Like we just have to keep keep letting him choose, keep letting him do what he, what he does because it was successful for a time. And this is this is how God moves. And yeah, so I mean, for you're, me, I'm like, you're oh, right. This is so yeah, it's just so dangerous. Right, and, and there's two points to this, right? Like I was thinking about this earlier. You know, I've been a drummer for 22 years. If I just stopped, it would kind of fuck me up. I'd be like, well, like, who am I? You know, like, I've been known to so many people as this drummer, as this person who plays music. I play professionally still. It, it would be kind of like an identity crisis, right? So I can understand, right. like, how there's, like, this, whoa, like, what do I do after this? I, I get that, okay? But at the same time, there are consequences for actions, and also, like, that's not healthy. Like, me having a codependency of drumming being my identity is not a healthy view of myself. Like, there's more to me than just being a drummer, right? And these pastors, the Mark Driscolls of the world, the Brian Houstons, they've, their whole life has been this identity. And, and they see themselves as this person, and they just can't let it go. And to justify it, they will take God language, they will take the Bible and they'll, and they'll use that as a theological weapon. They'll weaponize it to say, look, God's not done with me as a pastor yet. I still need to be saving souls. This is one of, for me personally, this is one of my biggest problems with current evangelical church structure. This CEO model is incredibly unhealthy, incredibly unhealthy. This mega church model is so unhealthy. It really exploded in the seventies. And we have example after example of people who were in those positions who, who messed up and hurt a lot of people from, from Jim Baker, you know, all the way through Ted Haggard, Bill Hybels. We can go through the list over and over and over again. These mega church systems are not doing what people think that they're doing. And I think what's so dangerous is that we've really convinced ourselves that building the kingdom, right? Which by the way, the Bible says that we inherit the kingdom. We don't build the kingdom, but whatever. You know, people say that, you know, um, we build the kingdom by building our, our church, our mega church, right? When, when we have four campuses, the kingdom is in that town. No, no, no. If the poor are still among you, then the kingdom isn't there yet. Right. And I think that is what's so disingenuous is that we've really, and I, I say this as someone who's been complicit in these cycles for a lot of years, right? I've convinced myself that, oh, God's kingdom is here because we do a really high end Sunday morning production because there's, there's a CEO pastor who can talk really well, you know, because people pack a building for an hour and give a lot of money. And sometimes they go feed some people. That's the kingdom. It doesn't make sense. And we're seeing over and over and over again how unfortunately it's kind of an illusion because underneath these systems are rotten right like like the foundation is broken people are getting hurt unfortunately these leaders show very very few signs of true repentance or even rethinking the systems that that they've created right and so so this happens to brian he goes down and then bobby bobby is still in there yeah. He even mentions her in his apology. They've still got hope. She's still in there. And then Bobby's out. So right. Brian releases, you know, the screenshots of the text messages. Uh -huh. So before Hillsong, the institution, the global board can say anything, Brian's like, well, here's 
here's this, and aren't we all so sad for Bobby Houston and how she's being treated? Right. Meanwhile, rewind a year, same thing happened to Laura Lentz, same thing has happened to plenty of spouses, these wives. The yeah. husband goes down, the wife is out. So this is not this is not something that's never happened in Hillsong history. This is something Brian Houston himself has done, but Bobby's out. Right. And so for me, it was like, well, obviously Pot calling the kettle black. But then also it made me wonder, I was like, well, wait a minute, who is actually who is actually driving this car? Because I think I had no concept and I have no concept of how the Hillsong structure actually works. And who's actually running things? Yeah, Brian is out. Who's the boss now? And, like, where are right. these decisions coming from? Right. And if everyone was putting this hope in in Brian Houston and in Bobby Houston, you know, Brian, oh, this is, you know, the beautiful soul of our church is... Right. Well, yeah, for all this time, you were the big eagle and the mother dove. The, these are the faces. These are the hearts. These are the souls of Hillsong. Right. And it's it's kind of destabilizing that they could so easily be removed and that they could Bobby could receive this text and hey we're sending you this letter who is sending that letter where where is this coming from right yeah so when you saw when you saw the drama with Bobby happening what did you think well I mean the first thing I thought was well why is Brian blaming Hillsong for his own consequences like, it's immediate deflection, right? I mean, he says, you know, um, after 39 years of exemplary service and extraordinary faithfulness and fruitfulness, this is the communication Bobby received from Hillsong Church Board as she is made redundant, effective immediately, through no, through no choice of her own, dot, dot, dot. Are we supposed to act like this is all okay? It's not. Our beautiful church is losing its soul. Well, Brian, you know, like... These, your actions do have consequences, you know, like you getting drunk and being overly medicated and walking to a woman's hotel room for 45 minutes has a consequence. You texting a staffer inappropriately where she ends up leaving and you pay her to cover her time away has a consequence. Like, don't make it seem like all of a sudden the board is like backstabbing you. Your decisions have consequences. So why are you again deflecting? Because remember, in his apology, he says that 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 that, that he owns all of it. It's no one's fault but his own. But now in this, now now the Hillsong board is betraying him. Like where, where's the humility here? This is on you. You know, you built these systems. The Hillsong board is not the one on trial for, for, for covering up, uh, you know, his father's uh, child sex abuse scandal. That's on Brian. So I, I saw that and I go, here we go. I mean, this is what, you know, I don't want to speak too dehumanizing of Brian, but this is what narcissistic leaders do, right? They will power grab as much as they can. They will blame whoever they can. And, and, and here we are. Also, it says, according to this article, it says that the Hillsong board discussed this with Bobby Houston on March 28th. So this was apparently already discussed. So it just seems like it's a real bad, almost like PR move from maybe, maybe Brian and Bobby, maybe just Brian. I don't know. And Brian deleted this post. so You can't find it anymore. Luckily we all have screenshots, but I, I Again, like this is just I expect this. I I would have been shocked if Brian really came really repented and was like, You're right, this is on me, you know, I, I have to apologize. But no, like this is what they do. They power grab, they they claw their way because they feel like they're entitled to it. And, you know, I think deep down, someone like a Brian or a Mark Driscoll, whoever, deep down what they would never say is that, well, I built this ministry. Without me, there is no Hillsong. I can't prove that 
Brian actually believes that, but I would not be shocked if he did because he's been there since the beginning. You know, so he probably feels like this is my thing. I own this. Without me, there is no Hillsong, and that's what I think is. I think that's part of what explains this behavior. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's funny. It's sad. It's tragic. Mm, right. All the things, but it's also like people are so primed to to follow you guys, to believe you guys, to honor you guys, to look up to you. It literally would take the least amount of effort for you to hold on to a lot of this regard to keep a lot of people on your side and like ready, ready to forgive you. Nowhere, nowhere in any of his things, like he barely, barely apologizes. Right. Definitely does not repent. The word repentance is not used in anything. It's like they immediately go from, all right, I got caught. Sorry. Sorry you had to see that. And then immediately start playing the but but forgiveness but you know we're all flawed but let let totally. the he who's without sin throw the first stone totally. but after thirty nine years here's all the reasons you know right. we we shouldn't look too closely at this so no not even baseline repentance and for me at this point I'm like well I don't even want it would be nice to hear the word repentance and a lot of people would would go just for that I want reparation like i want actual repentance and action like you don't just get to say no i repent in that i'm never going to do this again more likely that i'm never going to get caught doing this again but it's like people would go for that and you're not even doing that yeah yeah and so for me i'm like no like it all needs to be done and we need to be thinking about real repentance like hillsong i don't want to hear how you're going to go forward I want to hear, how are you guys looking back? How are you caring yes. for the people Yes. under the wheels of this bus? Yeah. Why is there no, there's no acknowledgement of that. Like, again, the issue now, we, we have, we're all focused on Brian and his, his problems. Poor Brian. He's the alcohol and, and, the, and the medication and, you know, whatever. Oh, that's too bad for him. And it's kind of wiped away you know, or just swept under the rug again, all the issues that were already outstanding and yes. all the things we were already talking about and all the conversations we were already having. That doesn't count anymore because that was Brian. But trust us now, things are going to be better moving forward. Yes. And it's like, where is, where's the looking back? How do we, how do we get there? Like, what, is there hope for Hillsong moving forward? Should Hillsong be trying to move forward? <laughs> what is the the right biblical thing to do? <laughs> well, as as the new evangelicals, I have all the biblical answers now. The real biblical answers, you know. I have the actual truth, unlike those old Hill evangelicals. I mean, two things. Number one, I think that you mentioned something about how, you know, these pastors will use the Bible to justify everyone's a sinner. And you're right. Like they are master manipulators of the Bible because they're in it all the time. Like they know how to string together verses to make themselves look as least guilty as possible. Number two, it's I'm of the persuasion that repentance means reparations. It means fixing what is broken. It means going the other way. I mean, even in the, in the gospel accounts, Zacchaeus, you know, when he repents, he pays back what he took, right? I think actually four times what, 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 what he took. So 
I agree with you. You know, I don't think it's it's repentance at all unless Hillsong really takes a good, hard, honest look in the mirror and, and says, we've hurt people. What can we at least do to try and make it right? Maybe some victims say, leave me alone. You go, okay, I, I, whatever you want. Maybe some say, no, pay for my therapy. Okay, well, pay, you know, whatever it is, right? But until that happens, you're absolutely right because evangelical culture, especially in America and this Western view, is so focused on what's next that they have no... They have such a small lens of looking back, right? They're, they're, they're almost addicted to there is more. You know, your blessings right around the corner. Like, it's a really unhealthy addiction because they don't learn from the past. That's how you learn. You learn by reflecting on your life. I mean, that's how I've learned. I'm sure that's how you learn. I'm sure there are times, right, where you sit, you're like, you know, 10 years ago when I did this, it was not a good idea. Going forward, I'm not going to do that again, <laughs> right? I mean, we all have those moments. And it seems like for evangelical culture, these churches are so focused on what's next. There is more. Your blessings here. You know, move, go forward. That they don't sit to, to think about what they've done in the past that have hurt people and how they can make that right going forward. So I agree with you. A hundred percent. Is there hope for Hillsong? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe if they have a real, in my view, they need a full rethinking of, of what it means to be a church and not a a mega, you know, property soaking institution that is money hungry, power hungry, and, you know, is really steeped in, steep in some pretty unhealthy Pentecostal doctrines like the whole dominion theology you know this idea that 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 christians have to take over the seven spheres of influence i mean there's some unhealthy stuff there i don't think that hillsong will ever do that you know i mean i think this is wishful thinking um because again american evangelicalism is steeped in colonization it's steeped in in this perspective that we have the absolute truth we have the true hope no one else has this true hope we have it it's our job to spread this around and this is how we do it through these church structures so i i'm not holding my breath i'm not i think out of all the institutions that i could think of i think only the ravi zacharias international ministries is one of the few where they completely dismantled their apologetics ministry i think right now all they do is is advocating for abuse victims i think that's all they do now and i respect that like you're right you i'm glad that that they dismantled what ravi built because it had to be right and so i think that's an example of that it's possible but will hillsong ever do that no because there's too much money there's too much power at stake and don't forget here's how they probably see it well yes we've hurt some people but look at all the people we reach for the kingdom. Look at how far our music reaches. Look at how many good things we've done, right? Did we not say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons, you know, in your name? It's that kind of idea, right? It really is. So yeah. they have convinced themselves that for them, their good outweighs their bad. So why would they change course ultimately? So I'm not holding my breath for any kind of systematic change, frankly. So when I... Didn't know I was deconstructing, but, you know, started deconstructing. Sure. I was really into documentaries and stuff about, like, Scientology. Mm. And, you know, looking at that. And it was so easy to see. Like, look at this. Look at this cult. <laughs> they're crazy. Like, they're crazy. How did these... What are these people doing? And then, you know, they got into Scientology and all the property. Right? Like, all these properties that Scientology owns and is snatching up. And you're like, that's so clear, guys. Like, this... <laughs> they're just out for themselves. And they're just racking up all these properties. Ah! Oh. And now... <laughs> you know, looking at Hillsong. <laughs> and so, like, the documentary brought up the LLCs 
Like that that whole thing. And then had Vera and Jenya Kasovich in there, but didn't even really didn't even really tell their story. Like hinted at it a little bit, but didn't really say anything. And right. I had known I had known what happened to them. Like I had heard their story, like the true version. How I didn't know all the stuff about kind of like the financial burden Hillsong would put on them with like conferences and things and, you know, making them hold that standard of this is how much you need to pay people and they need to be in these hotels, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I didn't know that that was happening, but I knew that there had been a point where Vera and Jenny were basically like Hillsong, the institution is not really caring for Ukraine or its people. Like we're doing, we're doing this work. We, as this congregation have bought this building, you know, have done this. And basically they wanted to separate from Hillsong. Like just let us be our, our own thing. And Hillsong said, no, you're going to give us your property. I think it, how it started was that Hillsong wanted them to sign, like sign the property over. Yeah. And they're like, well, no, forget it. We'll just go our, go our separate ways. And then Hillsong was like, no, we're, we're going to take it all. So right. I had known for years that Hillsong had taken that property and done that. Again, I can't, I can't get back in the mindset. I can't, I can't be too mad at that version of me. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't get it now. I don't know what you were thinking. People had a version of the story and it's just like, ah, uh, I don't know. That seems, that seems shady, but surely there's, there's some reason. I don't know. And then right. as the New York campus, we are, we're given to heart for the house. We're paying our tithes and offerings and whatever. And it's always about, we're, we're going to get our own building someday. That's, that's the goal. That's the wish. Mm. And then Hillsong buys property in New York, but you know, they buy this, this office building. And, you know, they talked a little bit about how now it's a good investment because, you know, we can, they don't own the whole building, but we own however many floors or whatever, and we can have our office there and then we can rent the space out. And this is, this is great for us. But even then it was like, but this is just for the staff, like the regular, the regular Hillsong member, they're never even going to have the address to this place, much less Mm. set foot in it. Mm. And we'll see no return on this, but this money, this money is going somewhere. Right. And so now we're just hearing more and more about just all this property. And I'm like, this is, this is a property scheme. This is Scientology. How do they justify that? For me, I'm like, there's no, there's no hope for Hillsong because this is not, I don't think you guys are in it for the right reasons. I don't know when that switch was flipped, right? I'd like to think it started out with good intentions, but at some point, like the goals here definitely change. Yeah. So when you when you heard about the LLCs and mm. the property scheme, uh, was any of this a surprise to you or I mean, the more I do this work, the less surprised I am at churches doing crazy shit. You know, like at first I'm like, "Whoa, I had no idea." Now I'm like, "Yeah, shocker." You know, wow, I had no idea. Of course. Um it is funny with the Scientology things. I I've watched a lot of those documentaries too. And at first I was like, "Wow, how can people not see this is totally a cult?" Then I would hear things, I'm like, that kind of sounds familiar, but I'm not in a cult, so it's okay, you know? Like, well, no, I'm a Christian, though, so it's different. And then over time, you're like, wait a second, a lot of these, like, things overlap eerily similar, you know? And the property thing is one of them, you know, where it's like, yeah, Hillsong is... So for those of you who don't know, who are listening, Hillsong has been buying up property for years. I mean, taking over churches, consolidating their money. They have all, they have a web of LLCs and like, and like other names that they operate under to separate them from the church. So if someone ever sues the church, the church has no money really to give because all the properties are tied up in other business names or LLCs. 
And I think like in Arizona, they have 31 properties that I think in the article it said that that that, that they would appreciate to about 41 million dollars uh, this year. And it's like, whoa, like what well, what what is the plan? And then when you think about Dominion theology, this idea of taking over spheres of influence, right? You think, whoa, like that's kind. Of, I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, I think that deep down Hillsong has this idea we have to take over as many places as possible, again, for the kingdom, right, in their head, but really it's the Hillsong kingdom. And and a lot of these churches were not treated uh, fairly. And I, like you said, the the pastors in Kiev, uh, in the Ukraine church, this is before the, you know, the Russian invasion and everything, you know, Hillsong pretty much said, like, if you don't hand it over, we'll, we'll build a church next to you, and we'll just, essentially, we'll just... We'll just push you out that way. And then when they were working on – the pastors in Ukraine were working on immigrating to the U.S., they received a pretty threatening email from one of the people at Hillsong saying that, that we can make your life pretty miserable for you know with the U.S. authorities. Like this is really – I don't want to say unchristian behavior because this is how Christians behave sometimes, but very uh, unhealthy behavior, very threatening behavior. And again, you go, I don't get it. Like why? And I, I just think deep down, Brian and Hillsong, they just think that their shit don't stink and that God has a special anointing on them over other churches and that it's their job to take over the world, at least the church world, and to buy up and 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 take over as many churches as possible. And it was I surprised, I think I was surprised by how complex and how hidden it all is. You know, like, I, like these LLCs, some of them have no connection to Hillsong what you know whatsoever on paper like they're, they're, they're just no name LLCs that you would never guess so it's very clear that Hillsong knew what they were doing and they intentionally bought up all these properties I guess maybe to to bolster their finances I I don't know but yeah I mean again it just shows like the empire of evangelical church culture it is just so sneaky it is so sneaky and without private investigators and without journalists, we would never know this still. They haven't disclosed this. It's not like Hillsong, Hillsong board came clean, right? I mean, we found out through through journalists doing the hard work of saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did, we, did everyone here know like how many properties and how many churches Hillsong has absorbed and taken over and also mistreated? Well, they won't tell you, so we'll tell you. So thank God for them. Right, right. And it's, again, the least people will accept the least from you. So, and the, like totally. the least amount of kindness could go, you know, a long way. So even, even in thinking about the Ukraine church and how they handle that, I'm like, if you just wanted the property and you just wanted them out, you could have just as easily said, Hey, we know you guys want to move to the U S we can help that paperwork <coughs> along and we can give you X amount of dollars and we can right. all walk right. away from this, you know, right. Fine, right. Why and so stingy? Like you won't, why, why so mean? Right. I mean, like, Hillsong is rich. They, their music alone brings in $100 million a year. I think it's something like that. Or not, maybe not 100 It's several million dollars. It's a lot of money. They have the money. They can give the guy a hundred grand and say, hey, thanks for your work. Be blessed. You know, same kingdom, whatever you want to call it. But instead, it's the opposite. They're, they're blackmailing them. It's crazy. Right. So then... You know, with the whole Dominion theology thing, I was shocked yeah. to discover Hillsong had any theology at all. This is not <laughs> something they've ever said, you know, this is this is who we are and this is what we're about. So right. it's like at every level it's lies. Like you're not right. you're not really telling people what you're doing, you're not really telling people what you believe. You're out here for your own for your own reasons. So at this point, 
do you think, do they actually believe in God? Or have, have these people deconstructed and just never said anything? So many of us, our behavior was kept in check. We weren't going to, to these kind of levels. Like a lot of us were cutting ourselves off from normal, simple things, just out of the fear of God, the fear of hell, yeah. the fear of whatever. Sure. And it's like the way you were all behaving, the things that you're doing on multiple levels, do you do you really believe in this? Or are you just using it? I mean, they definitely believe in the God. The question is what kind of God and and which God? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that that's a very human question. You know, a lot of people believe in, in some kind of God. And what kind of God are we thinking about in our head? And, and how we interpret, especially in Christian circles, obviously, you know, how we interpret the Bible really impacts how we view God. And there's also psycholo- uh, um, psychological views of this, like, like how, how you view your parental figures in your life impact how you view God, right? There's a lot of those connections that we don't always think about. And so I, I certainly think that Hillsong and the people on staff believe in God. The question is, what kind of God? What kind of theology? How do they interpret these biblical texts, you know? And are they using it as a way to justify their own power and their own conquering of whatever atmosphere they feel like like they need to be conquering in the name of God? I mean, the the belief of God is a very powerful drug. I mean, the Inquisitions, you know, the, the Crusades, like people really, the Doctrine of Discovery, right? The Pope saying, God has said, whoever you discover in these lands, you can just take them over pretty much. You know, like they're, they're savages and you're not because God says so. So the idea of God's a very powerful belief, right? Very powerful. And it can do so much good. Yeah, I mean, Joe Lumen always says like Christian thought and Christianity could be, it could be a tool of liberation or a weapon of oppression. And I really agree with her on that. How we view God, how we view the Christian tradition and other traditions too, but in, in my context, the Christian tradition, you know, it really matters because it really impacts how, how we treat other people. And I think we have to look at, we have to always look at the fruit, right? Like how do these things behave? Because theology does dictate orthopraxy in a lot of ways. And if Hillsong feels like it's totally okay to treat other people this way, to treat other churches this way, to hide abuse like this, to have double standards, to really gaslight people who have been abused in their, inside their own circles. We haven't even talked about, you know, uh, Crenshaw and others, you know, who were abused in, in the church and how Hillsong just really kind of covered it up or said these weren't true or Brian Houston's abhorrent text saying pretty much that, you know, that, 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 that she was abused prior to Hillsong, like just putting out that, and you're like, Brian, what the hell are you doing? So, it, so my question is, what kind of God do they believe in that thinks that like this is okay? And also when you make the mistake, this kind of apology is totally legit. So that's the question we have to be asking is like, yes, they believe in God, but what kind of God and how are they getting there? That's the question I have for them. So with that, and I've been thinking, I mean, Easter, Easter is coming up and, you know, thinking about what, what does that mean? What did Jesus come to do? What was, what was his whole deal? So like, <laughs> if Jesus died and then he came back and then then he went off to do whatever. So let's say say Jesus Jesus has been off visiting other planets doing whatever because he's like, look, I did I did my thing. I'm putting it in you guys' hand. I'm trusting that right. you know you're gonna do what I asked you to do. Right, so if right. Jesus were to were to come on back, he just he's just stepping back in. He hasn't seen anything, and he were to walk into a mega church this weekend on a scale from one to ten. How closely do you think it would resemble what he set out to build? What he left for us to inherit? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't think it'd be that close. Um, I, I I always struggle with try with with doing my best not to assume that now I have like how Jesus would definitely see things. You know, I'm just realizing like how little I know about the Christian tradition. The more I do this work, like you're a musician, so am I. The longer I play music, the more I'm like I know so little about music. Like I just know so little. It's the same kind of thing with this. You know, I, I I'm convinced personally that I don't think Jesus would be super thrilled with our mega churches, um, especially because like just for sake of argument, let's just assume that all we have are the four gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we just have those teachings of Jesus. Like it's hard. You'd be hard pressed to come away with reading like, like the Beatitudes, you know, or reading Luke and thinking, ah, yes, the solution that we, that we're, you know, the, the teaching we have from Jesus is how do we build a really big Sunday morning event that attracts a lot of people as a priority over like feeding the poor. You know I mean? In Matthew 25, Jesus literally warns of judgment for those who are not taking care of the, of the, orphan, the widow, the prisoner, you know, who are not feeding those who are hungry. It's like, those are the teachings, you know, not how do we build the bigger megachurch? And so at the same time, and I tend to appreciate what Scott McKnight says about this. He says that every Christian generation is called to interpret the Bible and the Jesus tradition in their day and in their way, because every generation has new questions that we have to answer. You know, I mean, the questions that we're dealing with in 2022 are not the same questions that Christians were dealing with in the 1500s. They just weren't. I mean, some are the same, but some are not. And culture does change and culture impacts how we see the world, whether people want to acknowledge it or not, you know, where we all come from, from a cultural context. So I think that that there's this there's this theme that I think about. You know, how do we partner with with the wisdom of the divine to make wise de- decisions that lead to human flourishing? That's my question. I don't always like how do we what does loving my enemy look like in 2022 because I'm not currently under occupation by an emperor. I I live in the empire that actually occupies other nations, right? So what enemies do I have right. to deal with and how do I love them? That's a different kind of question than who Jesus was talking to, right? So we have to do our best to interpret some of this stuff and make wise decisions that ultimately lead to liberation for the oppressed, good news for the poor, human flourishing, loving our neighbors. So that's kind of how I think about it. I know, it's a, I know it's a tangent, but there's just so much here to kind of unpack and think about. And these aren't easy answers. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not black and white binaries. Life is complicated. It's nuanced. Culture matters. Cultural context matters. How we interpret the Bible matters. It matters. And these are big questions that we, we have to wrestle with. And it's because even, even saying that, like, yeah, the cultural context. And I'm like, well... I mean, yes, the world changes and the issues change, but at the same time, I'm like, we, we keep doing the same things over and over again. Because I feel like yeah. if Jesus stepped back into a megachurch today, I think he would recognize it, but I think he would think, like, wait, did I go back in time? Because like, I feel like we just, we just rebuilt the system that he was, you know, railing against. Yeah. But, I mean, I can see a lot of, a lot of that time. Again, yes, we are, we are the empire that occupies other places, you right. know, whatever. But I am in the empire as an occupied person, right? Yes. Like, yes, I am American, but I'm not, I'm not who our constitution was written for, right? you know? And it's right. like, this is a faith that came from the margins and it can, I don't, I don't think we've ever seen what Christianity or what, what Jesus's way was meant to be. Mm. I don't I don't know that there's any way that the men who interpreted the Bible for us, for this culture, for this context 
how they they couldn't have skewed it like they had to and we know right. that they did you know just from the things that they left out of the slave bible and, and you know whatever so it's like there is there was always a level of knowing oh no if we give them this whole thing or if we tell the whole truth right it's gonna mess up our gig here so like yeah. it has to, it has to be perverted like it just has to and because we have exported this <laughs> yes, Hillsong is Australian, but it's also very American, right? They came here, learned that, and then now they're feeding <laughs> us a regurgitated version of it. Yeah. But this was ours, and it's like I don't think it's any accident that I mean, as our as our systems are crumbling, right? As our country is yeah. going through that, this this brand of Christianity, this evangelicalism, is also falling apart. I'm like, I feel like. All of these systems, they go so hand in hand. Totally. Yes, white supremacy is is part of it. Because so is nationalism. And it's like all of these things, I'm like, I don't know. It can be parsed out, but so much so that it can't can't survive without it. Like, and that's not Christianity as a whole. It's just this this brand of it, this version. I see no hope for it. I'm like, no, I don't. If it survives, then a lot of us can't. Like, it just... I think that's a pretty good way of saying it. If that survives, then then a lot of us can't. And, you know, I think that even, like, and we're, we're really parsing a lot of information down, but, you know, even, like, in historic Christianity, you can see, like, there have always been, like, two streams. There's Christendom, right? There's the people who are, like, the empire, you know, let's get embedded with the power. And there's always been those who are resistant to it. And I think we have to acknowledge that. And, and like you said, there is nothing new under the sun. Um, we're dealing with the same thing today, which is kind of frustrating. It's, it's both comforting and frustrating, I think. Like, okay, I'm glad this isn't, like, unprecedented. But also, like, how many more decades or years do we need before we start learning that, like, putting Christianity in bed with the empire is a bad idea and leads to oppression of people? You know, so that part's frustrating. But also, I kind of feel comforted knowing that, like, there's always been a remnant of people who have always spoken truth to power. And that, you know, as best as I can tell, Jesus was one of those people. And so it's like, how do we do that? And like you said, with Hillsong... It has to be dismantled regarding how we know it for it to thrive in a healthy way. You know, I'm not saying Hillsong like can't, but the current trajectory, it, 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 just, it maintains the status quo. And the status quo, doesn't. it's not doing us any favors. I mean, even last thought I'll say, then I'll, I'll shut up and I'll stop talking. But even like for, for a second, forget about the harm. Let's say Hillsong never caused any harm. Their theology is shitty. They export bad theology, right? This whole seeker-sensitive, like, pray the prayer, receive Christ, walk down the aisle, I would argue as a Christian doesn't even con- doesn't even create true Jesus people who are concerned about the oppressed or concerned about even just, like, like how a society organizes. It produces Sunday morning spectators, not people who are actively engaged in their society. So even if Hillsong or or, or, or other evangelical churches weren't problematic on a harm level. I still think that so much of their theology is is not good. It's not it's not vibrant. It's not robust. It's not nuanced. It is bumper sticker Christianity. And in in, we we can look at the fruit now in America. Bumper sticker Christianity has dominated American culture. 80% of them vote for Trump. White evangelicals are QAnon supporting. They are some of the, they were, they were, they were the most resistant to vaccines. They they promoted COVID conspiracies. I'm sorry, this is, this is all data. You can look it up. I'm not making this up, you know? So white evangelical bumper sticker Christianity does not even produce genuine Jesus people. 
You know, it just doesn't. So even on that level, I have such an issue with the theology that so many of us are swimming in. It's just too narrow and random. Yeah, and I don't, I, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think there's a way for it, for it not to. Like, you can't have, you can't have bad theology and it go well, right? Like, yeah, right, right, right. No, there's no neutral here, right? Like, if you're if you're not, I mean, I guess, I guess you could just walk into a church and get, yeah, if you just go there and you just take it and you're just like, okay, I, I heard the story and that seems cool. And now I'm just going to go home and, and be the same. Right. Fine. But like, as soon as you decide, no, this, this, this means I have to change my life in some way and I have to do something like it's going to send you in a direction. And if it's not sending you towards liberation, helping oppressed people, helping the poor, then it's going to send you towards <laughs> capitalism, right? Right. Buy our music. We are blessed. Uh, and here's why. And how, here's how you can stay blessed. And so it's like, it can only, that the, it can only be bad. Right. Um, right. And so I, you know, and at this point, I'm like, I'm not against the church. Right. I want people to have what, what they want, what they, what they feel like they need. But also like Hillsong, does not need to exist. Hillsong is a church, sort of, on a good day. It is not right. the church, right. right? And as right. hard as people want to cling to it, Hillsong could could do a lot of good still if it were to dismantle itself, to sell off this property, settle up with the people you have harmed. There is, there is a timeline, right? One of the multiverses out here where Hillsong <laughs> stops and attracts and and does the right thing yeah and says okay wow like somebody at the top says okay baby this is not what it was intended to be but right. somewhere this went way off track so right. now here's all the things that we have and here's how we can repent right repair right. and then go because we don't actually need to be here the gospel is not dependent on us right maybe the That's best right. thing we could do to help it go forward is to take our name off of it and right. send people forward better, right? Because right. they are right. the church. The people right. are the church. Right. So let's give them their money back. Let's help restore them to health and trust that they're going to take this forward and make the world better. I'd like to think we live in that version, <laughs> but I don't think we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> but we can dream, right? <laughs> <laughs> we can dream and we can find ways to push. Right. And maybe maybe make them begrudgingly yeah. do the right some of the right thing. But again, like I'm like, I don't even know who who's the man behind the curtain at this point. Like Right, right. Phil Dooley? I don't know. I don't think so. Like I think it's it's either George Agajanian or there's someone whose name we don't even know. Right. Who's who's really calling these shots and who's going to collect all this money at the end of the day? Because I'm like, what hap What happens to all this property? All these LLCs? Who is who is collecting those checks? Where is all of this going? Who is racking all of this up? And for what? Like right. even with Brian Houston, I'm like, you you have you have it. You, there's nothing else you could possibly want, like materially. Right. Right. You could have gotten out of this game years ago and gotten away clean totally and been fine totally but it's like at a certain point like you have so much and it's still not enough and now you are just destroying lives 
It Over sounds what? like it sounds like Brian has a god shaped hole in his heart. <laughs> And Brian chooses to fill it with the love of God, you know, because it will never be enough, Brian. It will never be enough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he's accusing everyone else in the world, right, of doing what what he's doing. He's got the gospel trying to fill it with yourself. Brian's human. I mean, you know, like, I I don't listen, I don't don't go off on a tangent, but like, we we were all sold that, you know, like, we all have a God shaped hole, but like, even they have it. Even they have like that, you know, even the church won't fulfill, right? I mean, Brian, like, ran the largest church in the world. Still not enough for Brian, right? So, like, just just please stop giving me like bullshit slogans. Can we just be real? Like, it's it's a human need or condition to want more. How do, how do we curb that for real without being consumers, right? And saying Jesus, it doesn't fill that, it doesn't solve that problem. It just, it just doesn't. And Brian's like a living testament to that. <laughs> and a rant for real this time. I'm all done. I'm done ranting. <laughs> well, I'll this be the final question. All right. Again, not not on the list, but you know, there there came a point with with like the president. I'm like, you can be you can be a great person, but I feel like there has to be at least a little bit of something wrong with you to want to be the president of the United States. Like to say to yourself, yeah, that seems like something I should do, and like I can, right? Yeah, yeah, this seems right. Right. And I'm starting to feel the same way about mega church pastors. There has to be something wrong already um and i think we all have we all have a want for power for attention for like all of these things and i don't think that's necessarily wrong but we have to keep it in check right and so we're out of we're out of the church game we're not pastors i don't know if you ever wanted to be one no but how do you how do how do you keep yourself in check now Like yeah. being outside of it as someone building a platform, as someone, people, especially coming out of these spaces, right? And looking for leaders, looking to kind of recreate that. Like, how do you, how do totally. you balance that? How do you I keep mean, yourself from wanting to be president? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot, so we, there's a team of, so let me back up. So we're a, light, a registered nonprofit. I am able to make a some of a living by, by donations, people pay. So I'm able to do this and we're able to cover our expenses. And we also have a team of about 16 volunteers to help out with things on the back end. And, you know, in the beginning, like it's important to recognize that one of the reasons why, why the new evangelicals is not a church or, or in, in, is even kind of vague in like, in like where we're going is because all a lot of us have known is toxic evangelical spaces. And it's so easy to rush and just recreate the same toxicity with a new skin. Like, oh, we're not going to be a church. We'll just be a toxic Instagram platform. We'll just be a toxic podcast. You know, like, like, like you can, you can, you can do and recreate the same power dynamics all over again, just with a different label and a different context. Right. And so it's, it's something I told my team from the beginning is like, this can never be the Tim show. Like we cannot build new evangelicals on the, on a brand of Tim, it will not work. I don't want it to work. Now, the catch-22 that we're in is that because we are a very small nonprofit, we don't have money to bring on other staff at this point. But one of my dreams, and I tell people this publicly and privately, is that I would love if one day the New Evangelicals were run by a team of however many people, four or five, whatever, co-equally. 
and that I was able just to be one of the four or five, you know, to kind of run things together. I don't like being the person in charge. I, it's uncomfortable for me. I don't like it. I just don't. But out of necessity, because I'm the only one who can get paid to do this right now, I do a lot of the work, a lot of the public stuff. But even then, if you go through our, you know, like for example, our Instagram, we have different faces on there and stuff because it, it that's how I keep it in check. You know, as I remind myself, like, this is not about what I'm doing. This is about how are we helping other people, right? Like, and, and, and also how are we helping, how are we just changing our own dynamic? Like, even like the white ratio, you know, like I know I'm a white man who's on the face of this thing, but I don't want it just to be a white man on the face of this thing. You know, like I, we need the other perspectives to push things forward together. So I don't always do it perfectly. Of course not. But I told my team, like if it ever becomes a Tim show, like just slap me in the head and kick me out and then just take it over because it can't be, it can't be that. Like, I don't want to become Brian Houston, you know? And I think also, can we also under, can we just be honest? Like most pastors like hearing themselves talk. I said the quiet part out loud. I like talking. I like sharing my perspectives. I do. We all like that. But like mega church pastors, I think that deep down they love to hear themselves talk. They love to share their perspectives. They love to be the teacher. They love it. Maybe to a fault. And so I think that, you know, we have to be in mind. I have to keep in mind that that my heritage is white evangelicalism. And so I have to be really careful with how we build things going forward because if left unchecked, if, le- if left without a team around me working with me on almost every decision, you know – I'm, I'm prone to recreating the same toxic structures, and we're trying to do better than that. It will, will, will it be perfect? Of course not. You know, I think people who, who critique art, this kind of work, the deconstruction space, they're like, well, they just want perfection. No, we want humility and repentance. Like, such a big difference. I've said things before without even knowing it that were ableist, and I repented, or that were fatphobic. I repented. And the community forgives me, and I haven't done it again. We move on, you know? It's not about being perfect. It's about having some fucking humility and saying wow i have to own this i made a big mistake i didn't i didn't know i'm sorry i will do better going forward that's the difference that we're talking about accountability not perfection so that's kind of how we do it right now you know we're still working on it we're only about a we are we became a nonprofit like 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 two weeks ago, but we've been doing this work for about a year. So we're still pretty new. You know, we're trying to work on how do we fund, how are we transparent with our finances, how do we keep everything really above board? You know, the community knows how much I make. It's all public. Like there's no secrets. They they see our statements, you know. Those are the kind of things that we're just trying to do differently to have that transparency because I know a lot of people who who engage with us have been church traumatized. I I get it. So we have to kind of be over the top, you know, with with, with how transparent we are. That way they know that we're not hiding, you know, anything. I'm not hiding finances. I'm not driving a Rolls Royce, you know, like I'm not doing any of that. You know, I make a very small living off of this and I play music to supplement that. That's how it works. So anyway, so those are some of the things that some of the things that we do that hopefully are trying to change the dynamic as far as how, you know, content creators run their, their social media and, you know, and, and nonprofits. All right. Well, Tim, fix, fix the world with me. Cool. So I named this podcast. God has not given, you know, after that verse in Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love and a sound mind. But I feel like all I was given was fear. So if you could, who would you wish power to? Who would you wish love to? And what is something you wish society, you know, would put our minds together and rethink? You know, I mean, there's a lot of, 
I think that I would wish all those things, man, it's tough. There's so many different people, but I think that I would wish power to the BIPOC community. I think I would wish love to the ex-evangelicals who have been hurt by the church. I would wish that the evangelical culture would put their minds to and rethink, ultimately. You know, I, 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 it, it, it is frustrating, the arrogance that I find in evangelicalism. I was one of them. I, I get it. But, man, it is like, it, you just, you, you, you can't see the forest from the trees. You just really think, like, that you have this absolute truth. Even in Christendom, you know, even in Christianity, like, the Eastern Orthodox don't have it. The Roman Catholics don't have it. The, the, you know, if you're an Arminianist, the Calvinists don't have it. Or if you're a Calvinist, the Arminianists don't have it, but you have it. It's like, ooh, man, I swallowed that. I believe that. I'm still repenting of it. But, I mean, that is a dangerous trap. It's a prideful trap. So I, I hope that evangelicals start really rethinking, you know, how they view their theology. Beautiful. Well, Tim, thank you. Thank you for coming on here. Thank you for, thank you for being my friend. Doing, thank you. Doing your work and making me have to grapple with evangelicalism. Old and new. <laughs> That's right. And that is that. As I said at the beginning, everything is weird lately. And I sprung that last question on Tim partly subconsciously, I'm sure, because of some issues that have come to light in the Dirty Rotten Church Kids community. And that's exactly as much as I'm going to say about it. None of it is my story to tell. None of it is my place to speak on. But all of it is my opportunity to check myself. My friend Faye at Your Body Is Good posted something yesterday or the day before that says, journalists adhere to a code of ethics. Does your favorite podcaster, YouTuber, blogger? And I thought, shit, that's me. Do I adhere to a code of ethics? And the answer is maybe. Do I have a personal code of ethics? I'm sure I do. Could I list it for you? No. But as a podcaster, YouTuber, blogger, I don't know. And these are great questions to ask. And as we're asking these questions, I think we need to manage our expectations. The beauty of podcasting, of YouTubing, of blogging, is that these are open spaces where anyone can carve out their little spot. And as people coming out of evangelical spaces where we're used to being led by charismatic dum-dums, we have to be very careful and constantly be checking ourselves to keep from recreating those dynamics on both ends, right? To keep ourselves from making our faves into our new leaders and to keep ourselves from becoming them. Power and attention are seductive anyway, but when you've been starved of them for years and years, the temptation can be overwhelming. Or so I've heard. Look, none of us know how to do this. We are all learning in real time, and we are all probably failing at it in some way. If not publicly, then privately. I may not be harming others at the moment, but I've been anxious and depressed for almost all of 2022, so that's not great. One of the things a tarot reader said to me was that you see how the world is and you see how it could be and you want to fix it, but you can't let trying to heal the world overtake healing yourself. So I don't know what my code of ethics is. Live, love, laugh. Is that one? I don't know. But I do know that I have found a therapist and am back in therapy, and I am giving myself permission to reprioritize things as needed to keep myself enjoying the seasons of my little timeline. And if any of that sounds like something that would be helpful for you, I invite you to do the same. And if it floats your boat, I also invite you to check out Tim's content in like a chill, ethical way. Anything that, that's new evangelicals, you can find us. TikTok, Instagram, podcast, the whole nine. We're all, we're all there. And website. Anyway, 
I'm Janice Legata. Thank you for joining me. Shout out to Tiff Tiff and Reclamation Collective for being the MVPs of Hillsong Rehab. Tiff has been womaning the account with me and Reclamation has gone out of their way to create and schedule a Hillsong Survivor Support Group for this summer. So if you want more information on being part of that support group and or donating to help cover the cost for others to have access, find and follow at Hillsong Rehab. And that's it. If this has meant anything to you, sparked anything for you, or just a general good time, please let the people know. Rate and review this podcast on Apple. Ask about me at God Has Not Given on the Gram. Visit my website at JaniceLegata.com for all the links to all the things I'm working on, other podcasts you can find me on, and ways that you can support. And yeah, remember, you are your best thing. So take care of you, be well, and I will talk to you soon. I am an E. I am an E-X, I am an E-X-P-A-N-G-E-L-I-C-A-L. And I don't believe in any other hell than ever being or belonging to.